Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody who understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly biotechnology podcast that's not just about biotechnology. Providing information to help you change hearts and minds. Moving innovations to application with communication. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about gluten and some of the analysis of different types of compounds which have been known to induce human response and symptoms associated with gluten intolerances. Today, we'll focus specifically on celiac disease and answer the question, does modern breeding contribute to the sensitivity that we see in celiac patients? With us today, we have Shanae Simsek, who is the Bert D. Apollonia Serial Science Endowed Professor at North Dakota State University, Department of Plant Sciences. I'd like to discuss the paper that appeared in Food Chemistry. So maybe the best place to start is what exactly is modern wheat and what makes it different from its more ancient forms? Based on our recent food chemistry publication, modern wheat refers to wheat cultures released after the year of 1966. In this case, historical and modern wheat were characterized, taking the approximate midpoint of the last 100 years that were analyzed. This is also the same period during the which reduced high genes were introduced to wheat. Ancient wheat species, in my opinion, will be parental diploid and tetrapolyid wheat species, such as einkorn and emmer. In this context, the most obvious difference, difference will be that modern wheat is hexapolyid, whereas ancient wheat is either diploid or tetrapolyid. By saying that, when we write the publication, when we wrote the publication, we historical wheat, we classified historical wheat varieties, the varieties that were released before 1966. So I just want to clarify that, uh, that point. Okay. So, so really what it comes down to is that wheat is a, uh, is a polyploid, which we've discussed on the podcast many times, that many contributions of chromosomes from multiple antecedents 
but um, some of them in their historical context are diploid, some tetraploid, some hexaploid, and modern wheat is a hexaploid, correct? For me, ancient wheat species, uh, those will be the parental diploid and tetraploid wheat species, such as einkorn and emmer. And in this context, the most obvious difference between the modern wheat and which is hexapolate, and then the ancient wheat is either they are diploid or tetrapolate. So our food chemistry manuscript that you recently, it was recently published and you referred. In that manuscript, we classify modern wheat is the wheat that is released before 1966 and all the wheat varieties that were released after 1966 we classify them as modern wheat okay and that was really uh the the, the old varieties that you looked at though are still hexaploids correct yes it is correct so modern Bread wheat is hexapolite, but some of the ancient species, ancient grain like einkorn and emmer, they have a diploid or tetrapolite species. And again, in our study, we classify the old wheat or historical varieties. They were released before 1966. The reason we say 1966, because that was the year that height genes, reduced height genes were introduced to wheat. Okay. So if we look at modern wheat breeding and what's been done by breeders, what are they looking for in improved wheat? Like what are some of the traits that make wheat a valuable crop? So yield is the main factor that has been improved by um wheat breeders in the modern wheat. In addition, breeders have also improved traits such as resistance to biotic or abiotic stress, um, including um, disease resistance, drought resistance. And some studies also show that wheat quality has been improved as a secondary outcome because breeders most of the time do not specifically select for superior quality characteristics, but mostly they focus on yield and some of the stress responses. Yeah, so they focus more on the plant rather than the grain itself. Most of the time, in traditionally, yes. But um, so I think the main factor that makes wheat a valuable cash crop is the yield and adaptation to stress conditions. Okay, so let's move away from wheat for a second and maybe talk about the human side of this. What is this thing we call celiac disease and really how prevalent is it? So I will start with the second question. Even though we hear celiac disease a lot and all this gluten-free diet and gluten-free food, in reality, actually one out of 133 people have this disease. So it's less than 1%. And what is celiac disease? The celiac disease is an autoimmune disease that is caused by the gluten-forming proteins found in wheat, rye, and barley. So these proteins undergo partial digestion due to the high amounts of some of the specific amino acids like proline and glutamine in susceptible individuals. And then these incomplete digested peptides are recognized as antigens. So body is responding, this is an allergic compound and I have to protect myself. And then the body, then we see adaptive and innate immune system uh, triggering the immune system in the in the people with celiac disease. 
And, and are there other types of um, conditions that are affected by gluten that are not celiac disease? Yes, there are other types of uh, like gluten sensitivity. This disease is, the celiac disease is very different than the gluten sensitivity or there are other wheat-related sensitivities. But this celiac is, is specific to the people that they have immunogenic reaction or toxic reaction to, to some of the peptides found in the gluten. Okay, so that's really important. But what exactly is gluten? I mean, you talk, talked a little bit about how it is not digested well and is made of these uh, certain amino acids, but what is this thing called gluten? So gluten is the main storage protein found in wheat. It is only found in the endosperm of the wheat. So we do not have uh, gluten-forming proteins in the bran or germ portion of the grain. And then the gluten-forming proteins, actually we do not have the gluten as in the gluten form in the flour, but when we add water and then mix, then the gluten-forming proteins come together and then they form the gluten network. So the gluten-forming proteins are classified mainly in two portions is the glutenins and gliadin proteins. And those proteins are responsible for the viscoelastic properties and then the unique features of the bread or any, any other baked goods. Yeah, so I've, I've heard about this before because it seems like many groups have worked on suppressing uh, the individual gliadin and, and um, glutenin and, or gliadin and glutenin and uh, have... How, does it affect the quality or elastic properties of dough or bread when you suppress these individual compounds? So first thing I should mention that I'm going to talk mostly for bread. One of the reasons is it is the most commonly consumed product. And it is one of the other reasons is that we work with bread wheat in North Dakota. So glutenins are giving um, like resistance to expansion. And then it is giving the strength of the gluten, and the glidings are providing visco. Uh, uh, glidings are providing the viscosity. So, do we need glutenins or glidings for baking? We need both of them at the perfect ratio to to make good loaf of bread. Yes, I've, I've seen some reports where they've suppressed one or the other and have still had some sort of effects. But it's it's important to clarify that these are pivotal molecules uh, in some aspects of the performance of dough. So it's not so easy to just throw away the seed storage proteins and solve the problem. Is that correct? It is It is correct. So we cannot completely, in a, in a rough way, I can say you cannot knock, I mean, you cannot shut down the gliding production and still make a nice loaf of bread. That's not possible. For uh, for From the end user's perspective and then for quality we need both proteins at perfect ratio to make a nice loaf of bread and but for in terms of immunogenic peptides the researchers have shown that so i when i simplify the classification i only say we have glutenins and glidins but there are subclasses under those uh, proteins so for glidins we have omega alpha and, and, and other classes of glidins. But um, for in terms of presence of immunogenic peptides, alpha glidins have higher 
concentrations of immunogenic peptides that are causing the celiac disease. So people most of the time think, associate glidins with celiac disease because of one subclass of glidins have higher ratios of celiac disease causing peptides. Oh, very good. So what I'd like to do now is take a short break. And when we come back on the other side, we'll talk about uh, what are the rumors about the association between modern breeding and the prevalence of celiac disease. We're here on the Talking Biotech podcast, talking to Shanai Simsek from North Dakota State University. Uh, She's an expert in cereal chemistry and the constituents of wheat. And we'll be back with the Talking Biotech podcast right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Kevin Fulta. Three years ago, I started an experiment, the Talking Biotech Podcast. Now, I had experimented with podcasting and wanted to create content, but I didn't really need a spotlight. I didn't want people to listen and tell me that, okay, you have time for that stupid podcast, but you don't have time to review that grant proposal or serve on the committee or shave the dog. So I did my first podcast, the the Vern Blathek Fly and Power Hour with Vern Blathek. And, you know, we all know that didn't turn out so hot. But this week, three years ago, I was on the Joe Rogan experience. It's hard to believe it was that long ago. I mean, Joe was super cool. And the podcast was well-received. And at the end, Joe told me that I needed to start a podcast. So I ditched that modulated Vern Blazek voice and started my own series, June 12, 2015. Now since that time, I've been joined by the outstanding Paul Vincelli and a host of other, well, co-hosts. They're all awesome. But the real star of the show is the science and the scientists and the journalists and the ag professionals that share their stories. After three years and 130-some episodes, I'm really grateful for all the support and kindness, the 20,000 monthly downloads, and the great buzz we get in social media. It seriously is the high point of my week, and I, and I, I do the interviews and produce the episodes and see it go live, and there's nothing better on Saturday morning than to wake up and see that on the phone, that here it, it happened, and it's magic, and we're talking about science. We're creating a durable and useful resource. It, we're sharing science. We're changing hearts and minds, and someday... We're going to look back and see how far we've come. I think we see that already. Thank you for three great years, and thank you for your wonderful support. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast, talking with Dr. Shania Simsek from North Dakota State University, where she studies chemistry of wheat. And we're talking about the results of her recent paper that came out in the journal Food Chemistry and really looking at the association or at least the alleged association between modern wheat improvement and the incidence of celiac disease. So let's visit that. You know, we talk about this Internet rumor that it was ancient wheat was perfect and everything was fine. Um, that old cultivars like grandma and grandpa had were perfectly fine. But it's the modern breeding that made it more immunologically active. And so where do these claims really begin? So I strongly disagree with these claims. And one of the reasons we were approached by the wheat farmers, are they true? And, and then I was asked if, if we can check that if they are true or if, we, if they are not true. So some individuals associate the rise in celiac disease with increased of gluten proteins in wheat. 
Therefore, they think that ancient or historical wheat have lower gluten, whereas the modern wheat is high in gluten. This is not necessarily true. I think the rise in the celiac disease can be attributed to many factors, but I think the main reason is improved diagnostic techniques. So in the past, people were, were maybe feeling sick or uncomfortable, but they were not linking that to, to wheat or they were thinking something is wrong with me. But because of all advances in science and medicine, now there is more easier to diagnose. And that maybe that is the reason we have more, more patients with celiac disease today. Yeah, I've seen that interpretation that our surveillance is just better and that we're also better at categorizing different what people used to just say, you know, I have a digestive disorder, really finding a good place for it to fit. And, but let's look at some of the science around the uh, wheat and the presence of glutens. Um, it seems like when I read your paper that many groups have looked into this in different ways and in different types of wheat. And the results aren't always clear that sometimes they say there is an association, sometimes there's not. Can you kind of give us a background of what the literature tells us? There is one group in Europe, they made uh, some comparisons between the old varieties and then the new ones. And then the, the research results are conflicting between that group and the other groups, but they use only three modern wheat varieties. So in, in, in summary, if we add all this research together, there is no correlation between the immunogenic presence of immunogenic peptides in the old varieties versus the today's varieties. And what there is, there is, there is one point I should make is in terms of wheat quality, especially for bread wheat, protein quality is, is important and it's actually more important than the quantity of the protein. When, for, for example, um, if you can have two bags of protein with two bags of wheat with same protein content, but when we bake a loaf of bread, both of them can have different results because of one of the chemical composition, the protein composition in the one bag is different. So I think the genetic differences in the wheat is maybe some wheat varieties might have higher immunogenic peptides than others, but the immunogenic peptides were always there. They were always there, but some of them are maybe some varieties might have them higher, but there is no association between the release year and then the presence of immunogenic peptides. And then some studies claim that, but they use three samples. <laughs> so rather limited N. <laughs> yes, like three wheat varieties. So, but your study used quite a few more. And could you maybe summarize for the audience what your story covered and what was presented in food chemistry? In food chemistry paper, we looked at wheat cultivars released between 1910 and 2013 in North Dakota. We analyzed the gliadin protein profile, which has been associated with celiac disease, as I mentioned earlier. And then also we we use mass spectrometry methods to identify and quantify the celiac disease causing peptides or epitopes. Our results show that antigenic epitopes are found in both historical and modern wheat. And modern wheat is not higher in celiac antigenicity compared to historical wheat cultivars. And at least these results then would apply to the North 
Dakota accessions and really the North Dakota breeding program. Do you think that uh, the same kind of data uh, relate to broader classes of wheat cultivars? So since I haven't done the research for winter wheat or salt wheat, I do not want to say there shouldn't be any difference. But my speculation is, although we haven't tested wheat from other states, I think we will see similar outcomes if we do so. But um, if there is any other opportunity, since we developed the methods and we have these um, analytical uh, capabilities and then those uh, specific peptides were synthesized for quantification studies. So we are very in, in a, we are in a point that we can simply just do these studies for other wheat classes in the United States and, and prove that these this immunogenic peptides were always there. And do you um, are you aware of some of the other efforts where they've been now using gene editing to remove those specific peptide sequences? And and uh, do you think that those could be helpful going forward, or just give us really bad bread? What I know today is those specific peptides are not responsible, or they are not contributing the bread baking quality. And I have seen some studies done in some companies in California, and they actually bake the breads, and they, it, it, does, it doesn't seem to affect the baking quality. But this is too early to say, and, but based on what I have been hearing, it's, it is possible to make bread with celiac-free Back in our episode number 26, I interviewed someone from Kansas Wheat, uh, Dr. Chris Miller, and uh, he was working on this exact question. I just don't know if it's moved forward in the last uh, three years. So it's, it's good to hear your thoughts on that. But if we think about your work and the work that you're familiar with, with respect to the composition of wheat, what is the final conclusion? Is there any association between modern wheat and increased prevalence of the factors that induce celiac disease. So according to our results, plant breeding did not cause an increase in celiac disease. And as I mentioned earlier, our results show that both historical and modern wheat contain antigenic peptides, and that modern wheat is not higher in celiac antigenicity compared to historical wheat. And there were some wheat, in our study, there were some wheat varieties. They had less immunogenic peptides, but it was not related to release year. I believe our lowest one was released in 1990s, something like that. There was no correlation between the release year or or the... Um, and then there is also one other uh, point based on my literature. I know that environment has very little effect on production of immunogenic peptides. So even though we grow these varieties in different locations, this is the all results are not going to change based on the literature. The researchers compare the quantity quantity of immunogenic peptides grown in different locations. So environment had less impact. And the genetics has more impact on these peptides. Yeah, that was one of my other concerns was, you know, how much of this is environmentally fluctuating. But since it's a seed storage protein, it probably wouldn't be that strongly affected. I guess the other big question for me is, could breeders study your paper and make decisions about wheat types that would be good crosses to really minimize the allergenicity in the next generation? 
I think so because we had couple varieties. They actually had lower immunogenic peptides than others. By saying that they can use as starting material, but they, they have other concerns. You know, breeding is very difficult and numbers game. They have other concerns for disease resistance and yield. I guess they can use it. And then there is another point I should make is this disease is very complex. And and when people are doing, especially in vivo studies, and there are, let's say there are 10 individuals and they say they have this, they have celiac disease, when they consume a wheat product or an ancient grain, they all, they every individual has different response. So this is also introducing another variation to this type of studies because everybody's response is different. Maybe some people are more sensitive to certain epitope, so certain peptide than other peptides. And then let's say, so my crazy idea is, let's say I have the celiac disease. Maybe one can search which wheat variety does not have the peptide that I am allergic to. And then, then maybe, you know, maybe that you can make your bread or bake goods with that variety and then it might be okay. I don't know. This is just my crazy idea. I, I love crazy ideas. I think that's a great idea. It actually could be a nice test that you could probably do a skin test where you would have the different epitopes presented to the uh, to a given patient or even as a child where you could describe what types of wheat would cause sensitivities and which ones wouldn't. And in the days today where we have good genotyping and uh, you know, we can test a, along a supply chain. You could really find types of wheat that would be palatable for certain people. And, you know, maybe that's getting into a mess, but um, maybe we just need to have breeders that make things that have very little uh, antigenicity for that 1%. And maybe that's the best, easiest bridge to cross. <laughs> yes. So one, yes. And then one other thing that is serial chemist, we have concern is the gluten-free diet is is good for if you have the disease but now it has become more like a trend and, and popular or if i am consuming gluten-free i'm going to lose weight or this is gonna make me cool this is trendy so that makes difficult that is difficult for us because then you have to come up with so many good gluten-free options and then all this milling and baking companies they have gluten-free facilities and i wonder how long this this trend is going to survive because every day we have a new gluten-free product on the market and actually in reality only one out of 133 people have the celiac disease yeah i recently had gluten-free pepsi <laughs> yes and this this has gone so far that you buy a jar of pickle and it is marked as gluten-free even there are some water bottles it is marked as gluten-free i mean this is this is i think this is way too far that people are just going gluten-free diet of course there is no gluten in pickle but they marked it because people are just buying gluten-free food yeah, I understand. And we we talk a lot about that on the podcast, you know, the marketing angles associated with the science. But the good news is, is that it's a small amount of the population that is affected and that scientists like you are helping to sort it out so that we can better understand 
what the plant and plant products are that would cause them problems. And hopefully maybe in the future between better breeding and gene editing, maybe we can come up with products that everybody can consume. So that's what I'm hoping for. I think that is going to happen very soon because of especially gene editing technology. I have high hopes for it. I think very soon we are going to have um, um, celiac safe wheat varieties. No, very good. So Dr. Shanai Simsek, um, if we wanted to learn more about your program or cereal breeding at North Dakota State University or your work as a chemist, a food chemist, where could we learn more? So I have a personal website is uh, www.wheatquality.com. It's wheatquality.com or the same web is linked to the senaisimsek.com. And I have all the um, publications and details about my program. And also our department has uh, lots of information. Is It's North Dakota State University Department of Plant Sciences. They have weekly news and, and some updates and they have Facebook page. They highlight some of our research. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. It was really exciting and for me, really added new resolution to a question people ask about all the time. So thank you. Dr. Fultz, I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about my research. And it is a great opportunity for me to share my research and as I am very passionate about what I do at North Dakota, in, in North Dakota for, for wheat and then also with our farmers. And then it is so nice that, that people have interest in this topic and I can contribute. And this is, this is great opportunity for me. Thank you so much for taking the time and giving me this um, interview. No, that's very that's very nice. Um, so thank you, and uh, thank you to the listeners who follow us every week. Uh, follow us online at Talking Biotech um, on Twitter, and uh, write a review. Uh, iTunes looks really good. We're getting great reviews. Tell a friend and invite more people to learn more about science. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's Electronic Lab Notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.